Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Jerry Dryling's new novel, Crime Beat Girl, tells the story of Debbie Bradley. Debbie moves back to her hometown of St. Louis after working as a journalist in Washington, D.C. She starts working for a brand new city magazine, and she quickly becomes known as Crime Beat Girl for her must-read blog. And then bullets fly. Debbie soon realizes violence is everywhere in St. Louis. But after a few too many near misses, she starts to realize it isn't all random. She's a target. And she'll need to figure out why and who's trying to stop her and her reporting to stop the bloodshed. It's a fast-paced book with a lot of St. Louis packed in it. And author Jerry Dryling joins us today to talk about it. So, Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. So, Jerry, you begin your book soon after Debbie Bradley returns home to St. Louis. Set the scene for us. What made her decide to move back to her hometown? So, you know, there's the official version and then the kind of the background version. So the official version is that her mother is diagnosed with breast cancer. And her mom is a well-known um, lawyer in St. Louis. And you know, her mom uh, tells tells Debbie, hey, I've got breast cancer. And Debbie says, you know, I, I think I want to come home. I was just offered this job at this brand new magazine. Maybe I should come home and be with my mom. Now, her mom is, uh, you know, independent gal, and she doesn't necessarily want her daughter to come home. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the background, you know, Debbie, things maybe aren't going as well for Debbie, as she had hoped in Washington, D.C., she's got a a fiancé who, you know, this relationship is kind of drug on and on and on. They're both reporters. There's a bit of of rivalry, you know, professional rivalry between the two. And so in some ways, she comes home to help her mom. And in some ways, it's a bit of an escape from her current quagmire. Hmm. So she's escaping the quagmire with the fiancé and some of those professional issues. But, I mean, man, she's very quickly plunged into the action. This town has a lot of action. Um, <laughs> she finds herself a witness to a tragic scene very early on. What happens in that, that first chapter that, that she's right there on the scene for? So it's a situation where she's you know, trying to get to an interview, and it's going to be a, a fairly easy interview. She thinks she's going to meet somebody um, who is doing a lot of good work in the community, a, a community organizer, works with youth, and and she's driving around in North St. Louis, and she's a bit lost, um, and and she is trying to find her way, you know, paying attention to her phone, which goes, you know, silent. And she starts hearing a horn honking, and that gets her attention, and she sees a car swerving wildly. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, you know, she, she gets out of the way, another person gets out of the way, but the, the car crashes. And from there, you know, we have a scene of a real tragedy that unfortunately unfolds um, in many cities around the country. Mm-hmm. Now, this tragedy, it ends up becoming a really key plot point. I don't want to give anything away because I want people to enjoy this novel the way I enjoyed it. But Debbie kind of stays on this story. And and Jerry, I got to admit, this is one thing where I found myself questioning this fictional world here. Um, her editor letting her stay on this story. It seems like the kind of crime scene that white St. Louis media would largely ignore. It involves poor kids in a poor neighborhood and violence that kind of seems random. You know, it's not like the, the kid who drove into this, you know, and killed this other kid. It's not like this was a hate crime or anything like that. Were you in some ways making a point as an author that even the stories that we write off are stories we shouldn't write off? You know, when I was um, 
writing for the Riverfront Times, I think the stories that really attracted me were stories that nobody else was writing. Hmm. You know, there were stories about people that others tend to look past. And so I was really drawn to tell a story about an individual who is important, about a place that is important, and, um, you know, really bring to life so many of the the people that I have um, been able to encounter, you know, through my work as as a lawyer and a reporter that maybe others don't see. I, I, I tend to shy away from the cardboard cutout image of St. Louis and the various, you know, boundary lines that are that are painted around different municipalities in St. Louis. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to give Debbie a chance to 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 bring to other readers maybe a world that they think they know, but they probably don't. Mm. Now, as you mentioned, you were a reporter at the RFT, um, and this is before the internet ended up shaping so much news judgment for so many publications. You and I did not work together at the RFT, just to, to make that clear. Um, my years there were were after your years. Um, and I certainly don't mean to criticize anything that the RFT is doing, but so many publications these days are driven by what they know can get page clicks. And, and Debbie, in your book even talks about that. Do you think the kind of stories you did for the RFT back in the day would be something that a a journalist in St. Louis would be allowed to pursue today and be given the time to pursue them in the way that you did? You know, I I don't know. Um, I know that we were given a lot more time, which was uh, certainly a luxury. Uh, we were given the resources to to dig in and work on a story for you know four weeks, six six weeks. Um, and I know now it is very much driven by by clicks and and time on page and and all of those analytics that we really didn't have to deal with. Um, it's a world that I think we should still have. I do believe that there is value in telling those stories, um, but we have to find a way to make it um, financially possible mm-hmm. for media outlets. I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, immune to the pressures that, that uh, media outlets are facing right now. So I, I try to come up with a way where, you know, Debbie continues to do her work, yet she's still, you know, there's something in the back of her mind that says, you know, I, I need to keep digging, I need to keep digging that sort of intuition, whether, you know, you're a journalist or a reporter, where you just something, something just doesn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. This one sort of stuck with her, it, it wouldn't let her go. That's correct. Yeah, she, you know, she is, and sometimes it's, it's the 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 tragedy of a situation you know there is you know without giving too much away there is heartache all around mm-hmm. and sometimes you just want to find out more about what is it that brought this moment in time together what are the series of events that led up to this was it just you know the butterfly effect or is there something more so, Jerry, I got to say, you mentioned that you're a lawyer, and that legal training um, comes through so clearly in this book. I was so I was so taken with long before it even burst into public controversy this summer that Missouri kids as young as 12 can be tried as adults. You had this detail in this book. I, I wonder if being a former lawyer or being a lawyer, if that gave you a leg up in just grounding this story in such realistic detail that a lot of other authors don't have. You know, I I did see um, a a lot of that on the legal side and, you know, this this question that comes up again and again about 
when do young people really have a fully formed um, brain, mm -hmm. you know, to, to be fully responsible for, say, immature or impulsive decisions? Uh, when I was at the um, circuit attorney's office as a public information officer, you know, there was uh, a, Supreme Court, a Missouri Supreme Court decision that went into, you know, whether the death penalty could apply to um, uh defendants who are under a certain age. So that was, that was important. Um, so, you know, those are some of the things that, that, that came to mind as, as I was writing this book. Did you ever find that, that that sort of understanding of how things work in the real world, that that also made it harder to put on your novelist cap, that, you know, something might have worked as far as a plot point went, but the lawyer in you was like, oh, no, you know, it would actually take six months for this to get to trial. I can't just take that shortcut. <laughs> Yes, it is. It is a problem. And I had to write and rewrite and cut. And, you know, and there are points where some people may, some readers may say, you know, this, this kind of slowed down a little bit when you're talking about legal procedure too much. But I thought I, I can't cut that. I, I have to have at least this little portion in there. So I know there's, there's a scene where uh, Debbie Bradley is having dinner with uh, Chase Laclede, who is a criminal defense lawyer, and they're talking about, you know, how can a lawyer defend a criminal defendant? And, and you know, so we go through this whole notion of, of constitutionality and the importance of keeping um, the legal system fair and keeping accountability um, and, and, and all those guidelines. But I know that for some people, it's like, okay, enough already. <laughs> Why are they talking about this at dinner? These are two attractive <laughs> young people. They're, they're really going to talk about the role of lawyers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that kind of gives you an idea of what dinner with me is like. So. <laughs> We're talking today to Jerry Dryling. Um, her new book, her second novel, it's called Crime Beat Girl. It's a story that's set here in St. Louis, um, where Debbie has now, um, where uh, Jerry has has had her career as as she mentioned. She's been a lawyer. She's been a journalist. She's also been the public information officer for the circuit attorney's office. Um, Debbie's mom, who you mentioned, she has cancer, and that's one of the reasons Debbie gives for coming home. She's such a compelling character, and she's a lawyer just like you're a lawyer. I have to wonder if you um, drew on your own experiences as a mom and as a lawyer as you were writing her. So uh, there were, um, you know, it depends on what period of my life that I'm looking at. So, you know, some of Debbie Bradley's experiences that kind of um, naive, but but determined uh, attitude, you know, could have been me maybe 20 years ago. Um, Beth is, is much more probably who I am now or maybe who I aspire to be. I have two kids, one, uh, I have a son who's 25 and I have a daughter who's 23. So, you know, I'm also pretty familiar with the the give and take between an adult child and an adult parent, and sometimes how hard it is to to let your adult children adult. Mm. Um, so so that came in there, and um, you know I also one of the reasons that I I included uh, breast cancer for um, Beth is that I did have breast cancer about eight years ago, and mm. so I wanted to create this character who demonstrated that. You know, when when a person reaches middle age, you you know you still have feelings. You still have mm -hmm. you know romance may be a possibility um, that you still are fully engaged with the world, and that you know having um, an illness doesn't mean that your life uh, has 
ended. It's just another another way of approaching life. So so Beth is 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 somebody who maybe if you know I had my best version of myself, perhaps mm. that would be. But I think she's a better person than I am. Well, she really is a wonderful character, and you have this great anecdote. Um, Debbie, again, the main character, she thinks about watching Casablanca with Beth, her mom. And this is a quote from the book. Debbie would enjoy listening to her mother launch into her argument once the movie was over that Casablanca should be remade. Only this time, the characters of Rick Blaine and Victor Laszlo would be played by women. Ilsa Lund would be a man. I'd like to see how the audience would react to two women deciding who the man should be awarded to for the sake of the free world. Debbie knew her mother would mutter before heading off to bed. I love that movie. I've literally never thought of it that way before. Now I can't get it out of my mind. What's the source of that of that idea there? Okay, so that was actually something that I said. I was watching with my daughter. I said, you know, you have to watch this movie. I, I do love the movie Casablanca. But when you start inserting, you know, other people into the characters, you think, man, that's that's kind of crappy that they decided, you know, who she would go with. And she had no agency in and of herself. So so yeah, that was that was a comment I made one night. You were quoting yourself there. Well, you gave yeah. yourself a, you gave yourself a great line. I think that was a good pick on your part. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the bigger picture in your life, though. You're that rare lawyer. You decided to become a journalist after you were working as a lawyer, not vice versa. We see a lot of people do it the other way around. What drew you down that path? You know, I think it was a, a series of of interesting events and being open to possibilities. So. Um, after my second child was born, after my daughter was born, I was really getting tired of you know 70 and 80 hour work weeks, and it was a, a lot to juggle. And about that time, uh, there was a position that came open at Missouri Lawyers Weekly, which is a legal newspaper that comes out weekly for lawyers. Mm -hmm. And so I started to write for Missouri Lawyers Weekly. I became their legal editor, and at some point, you know, I started writing about verdicts and settlements, and that gave me an opportunity to look at documents, which I, I do like to, you know, give me a thousand pages of, of deposition transcript, and I'm happy as can be. And and so I, I was able to start taking my legal training and using it to tell stories about, you know, things that were happening, happening in the real world. And that, that totally got me interested in investigative journalism. And so I wrote a freelance piece for the RFT, and then one thing led to another, and you know I'm I'm suddenly writing you know investigative pieces instead of of practicing law. But I think they both have something in common. Mm -hmm. I think that many of the journalists that I know really um, care about the world and care about people and want to to highlight not only the good things that happen, but also to draw attention to injustice. And I think that lawyers, many lawyers feel the same way. So there's a there's a similar motivation, but just different tools for for doing what they like to do. Mm -hmm. And you later became a public information officer. As you say, you worked for the circuit attorney's office. This is when Jennifer Joyce was the elected circuit attorney. How did you like that job? You know, it was an interesting job. Um, I it's tough because you are, you know, you often see some of the darker sides of humanity. Um, but then you, you know, you also see some of the pain of, of victims. And yet, you know, as a practicing lawyer, I also handled criminal defense matters. Hmm. So, you know, I, I felt like my job, my role was to be an aid to to journalists 
as much as I could and to, um, you know, there were, to try to get out information which journalists need it as best as possible. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough job. I liked that in this book, uh, the public information officer for that office makes a cameo. And unlike a lot of the public officials in this book, she does things by the book. She's a professional. She's she's doing everything perfectly. She even has a great outfit. Um, but there's, there's some good public officials in this book and some truly bad ones. Did you encounter more good or, or bad in your years in that world? You know, I think that what I encounter is really a mix of of what we we all are. I think we're all a mix of good and bad. I think most of us are, and and I think that's one of the things that draws me to telling stories because I I don't, as I mentioned earlier, I don't like cardboard cutout images of individuals. I think we all have some some great strengths, but you know, we also have the capacity to hurt people. So. So I I would say that I met a lot of very well-intentioned folks, um, but my book also gives, some of the characters give me a chance to explore what I consider more of the systemic um, racial and and injustice issues in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. We got a tweet from one of our listeners. This is from a a different Jerry, spells it in a different way. Um, (laughs) Jerry says, please relay my subject matter suggestion for Jerry's next novel, White Collar Crime by Lawyers. Um, (laughs) That's actually a great idea and the perfect segue. Do you think there will be another novel about Debbie Bradley? The the ending kind of hints at the idea that there's, there's a lot of unfinished business for this young woman. Yes, there is. Um, so I am actually on, uh, I have two ideas and, and one I'm, I'm working on right now is going to cover more of the, the heroin and fentanyl issue in hmm. St. Louis and also look at some of the, um, the issues with, with drug trafficking and international drug trafficking. When, when I was in practice, one of the things that I kept getting appointed by the federal court to methamphetamine conspiracies. Hmm. So one of the the things that is interesting is how you know the laws have have made it more difficult to get the raw ingredients for meth um, in Missouri. So you know you're now you're seeing a lot more um, drugs, heroin, meth, others coming from outside of Missouri. So so that's really my next idea. And then um, white collar is definitely on my my third my third planned book. Oh, good. So so Jerry has hit the nail on the head there. And when you say you're going to explore these things, you plan to do this again in fiction. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Only in fiction. Um, you know, it's it's nice because with fiction, uh, you know, of course, you don't have to, to super fact check. Um, but it's nice because what I like about fiction is that you can explore uh, truths and ideas without having to... Um, have actual real people involved, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And and this book is a great example of that. The book is called Crime Beat Girl. The author is Jerry Dryling. And and Jerry, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. 
Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.